from Relay FM, this is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. Not so much about the past, although I guess it could be too. It's episode 15. It's April 19th, 2022. I'm Jason Snell, joined as always by my co-host, Julia Alexander, Senior Strategy Analyst at Parrot Analytics. Julia, welcome back to Downstream. We're back. It's so good to be back. How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you? Good, good, good. Um, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, th- as always, it happens. <laughs> as always, I wanted to mention in something that we've sort of uh, taken around my podcast circles to calling follow out uh, instead of follow up. It is uh, where we say things happened on other podcasts, and I just wanted to mention that you you made the rounds and were on some very impressive, I must say, podcasts. <laughs> Uh, you were on the Recode Media podcast with mm-hmm. uh, that's uh, Peter Kafka's media podcast, very cool, and Neil A. Patel's Decoder podcast. So, um, hopefully, some people are listening to this podcast who heard about this podcast from your many other media appearances. But I just wanted to say, uh, good job! I, I like to see you making the uh, making the media rounds. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's fun. I feel like this podcast, it was funny, too, because a lot of people who tuned into those podcasts were downstream fans. And it was one of those moments where I was like, wow, the internet can be really good and fun Aww. sometimes. And then Elon was buying Twitter. and I don't know. Then it went away. But in that moment, it was great. You you and I, and when I was talking about this with Tim Goodman, it's the same thing, right? Like anybody who's in the, in the business of talking about streaming media, you talk to people, there's so many people who don't they they use it, but they like they don't understand everything that's going on, and so you end up having these really interesting conversations about like, did you know that this is happening? And they're like, oh no, I had no idea, and it's like I think that's one of the great things about doing a podcast like this is we can we can talk over these really important things about where this part of the industry is going, but that um that that it is also kind of a mystery for a lot of people even now um, because it's so different than the way the media landscape used to used to work. I know with the sports, w- which we'll touch on later, sports stuff, it's really brought it to the fore once again that there are a lot of people who are like, can I just watch my baseball game? And the answer is <laughs> no, uh, no, you can't. Sorry. <laughs> it's because of reasons. It's complicated. <laughs> it's compl- I feel like because of reasons, it's complicated is just a very good way of summing up um 21st like just, century yeah, where yeah. we are yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um so i i wanted to talk about an article that you wrote on puck puck.news uh that was basically your uh, dear zaz letter uh before the synergies begin at the new warner brothers discovery here here's your uh your advice uh for mr zaslav saying uh uh, here's some stuff you need to look at when, now that you were taking the reins, this is obviously two weeks ago when we talked, it was not official. It is now officially official. It's D- Jason Kalar is gone <laughs> along with lots of other people, um, probably more to follow. And, uh, and discovery has merged with, uh, Warner media to form Warner brothers discovery. Um, but when, as I started to unravel it, I actually realized that your article is kind of too major topics that we should talk about right at the top of this episode because they are kind of the like two of the biggest topics that we've talked about in the past and also that are still kind of burning out there because this is the big story like where do they go from here they obviously kept some distance during the acquisition process you're not supposed to there's like a wall there you're not when you don't own it yet officially you aren't in charge of it yet officially so you can send signals and winks and nods and stuff but you're not in there until the day that you're in there and that leads to our first topic 
our mascot, our favorite thing to talk about until it dies, which might be sooner than you think. It's CNN Plus. <laughs> this um, is the story yeah. for us that truly keeps on giving. It is. It, it, you start a podcast and there's always that one thing that you look back in the in, in the future. You'll we'll look back on this and be like. Oh wow, yeah, CNN Plus. That was the, that was our first big thing, wasn't it? Uh and things will time will pass it by, but um the story now, there was an Axios report actually uh, today as we record this on April 19th about how they've actually like pulled this the pr- promotional budget for CNN Plus. They're not even going to promote it. It sounds like there were maybe a lot of miscommunications or or lack of communication between what the discovery people who were coming in to take charge wanted versus what the people who were existing at CNN wanted and of course you throw in there that Jeff Zucker who does have a good relationship with David Zaslav was fired <laughs> um so that added to the complexity of it uh, we've been talking about what a problematic product it is because of the cable legacy and they can't roll in the n- normal CNN live stream and they're trying to build a standalone product. And is that going to be a long term thing? Your piece in Puck, you talk about, look, treat this like ESPN plus, right, which is it is not ESPN. It is an additive for people who like ESPN with more content, both originals and sporting events like do that with CNN, which makes sense to me. But then I have to add this extra wrinkle, which is it sounds like at this point, Warner Brothers Discovery's first move with CNN Plus is to be like, whoa, now hold on. Just slow your roll. Yeah. <laughs> Stop spending money on promotion. I know that there's some figures out there about like how many subscribers uh, there are. I mean, building a subscription service like it, it, this was always going to be difficult for them. But like, where do you think we go from here? Given the Axios report, given that it's, you know, that Zaslav has said that they're really kind of inclined to sort of merge the Discovery and HBO Max streaming services together. um, What do you think is next for this thing that just started, by the way, just started and may not have long to actually ever exist in its original form? To me, it feels like the you have this outgoing group of executives who really did believe in this project, or even if they didn't necessarily believe in the project, it was something that they wanted to get out the door before you have this new executive team come in. Um, But it seems across the board, the the issue with CNN Plus is from the get-go, it was always designed to be a tile on HBO Max. It was always designed to be this part of uh, an HBO Max bundle that that coexists alongside the you know um, core gem of the streaming package. And I think what we get into this moment is just a really unfortunate series of timely events where you have uh, Jason Kyler and his team leaving. You have David Zaslav and his team team leaving. You have the former head of CNN, um, Zucker, who is fired. You have a lot of the people at CNN who are overseeing CNN Plus are unaware of kind of what to expect from their new Discovery bosses. They think it's going well, but they Discovery doesn't think it's going well at all. Discovery seems like they don't really want this to be a standalone app from the get-go. And so all of this kind of creates this conflation of well, what is this product? Where do we go from here? And I thought it seemed inevitable, as we talked about in this podcast, that that CNN Plus would eventually roll into a larger Discovery Plus um, HBO Max bundle. Or it seemed like the idea that they, you know, split up some of the content that they want to do. They take some shows and docuseries and put it on HBO Max and the rest of the programming. They kind of cut as a debt loss 
uh, as a way to 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 um, cut their debt, I should say. But what was really interesting from the Axios report is there's this idea of well, they're going to sunset the the CNN Plus app, which makes a ton of sense. But then they're going to take some of the live programming and put that on the CNN app, which if anyone has used is like a terrible experience. But it's a way to generate additional ad revenue. And then the idea is take some of the docu series, like the Murdoch docu series that everyone's kind of talking about, as far as people talking about CNN Plus, um, as far as that goes, um, and to input that on HBO Max, and it kind of exists mm-hmm. within this 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 offering and this is an interesting idea but it's also confusing because there's this two different angles that they're approaching cnn and then cnn digital or kind of this the future of cnn with and it's treating them almost as if they're the same audience but they're very different audiences and there's this idea of well what if we get away from opinion um uh programming in the primetime slot on cnn and we make that a 24 7 you know kind of traditional breaking news network and you know the issue with that is there is just not that much breaking news for the most part uh it, there's yeah. you know that's why the whole when cnn really turned up its audience numbers it was when the planes disappeared and it was like 24 7 coverage of that and people were tuning in and they figured out a way to do it and then they had the opinionated anchor desks which is their way to compete with fox and msnbc and which is what that audience wants and so what they're arguing is like well if we go to make this a 24 7 news network that is just you know kind of goes back to these news routes that will get a new audience and like maybe it opens up new audience portal maybe it opens up a whole new audience that you were not reaching before but that audience is not on cable like that is your digital audience who are much more interested in global news who are much more interested in um that kind of um an unbiased reporting that you are not necessarily going to get from your anchor desks which are a little bit of a a little news thrown in with opinion um where they kind of come out and they talk about it and so this idea of like well you're going to lose out on that they call it a short-term loss which is what it would be they take that hit fox news in the meantime increases its audience msnbc increases its audience and then there's this idea of well people who want to get this version of live news can go to the app, but it's not really live news. And so there's, I'm just confused almost constantly by what the direction for CNN present and then CNN future Mm. is. And it just feels extremely difficult to try and figure out. Um, But CNN plus seems like it was never supposed to be a part of it under the discovery leadership. Yeah. That's the thing that I'm getting from this is that CNN plus is something that was done based on a strategy that existed with Jeff Zucker um, before the merger happened. And now it doesn't make sense. And all of our time talking about this post announcement that Discovery was merging with Warner Media has been sort of like, well, what now? And I think the answer is maybe the clearest answer, which is not this. Like, not CNN Plus is the answer. And that's fascinating to me. I like what you said about, you know, what if we have things in the CNN app that are free with ads? I I always have thought that their library of content just makes sense on HBO Max, right? Along with it, especially considering it's nonfiction content um, that goes with the Discovery Library, which has a lot of nonfiction content in it and reality content. It's, it's, it's stuff that's not very much in the HBO Max library. So you roll your Stanley Tucci and all of the Anthony Bourdain and like that's that that all fits in HBO Max. But there is this other question, which is like, well, what is the role? And I know this is kind of a big question, big picture question, right? Which is what is the role of TV news as we think of it, like a TV news channel in a streaming world? Like we have 24 seven cable news because that's how cable works. 
right? It's linear. And so it's on all the time and you fill it with stuff. Streaming doesn't, can be linear, could be, doesn't have to be. And like, what do different audience segments want from it? Do they want uh, push news alerts to their phone that open a video? Well, sure, maybe, but some people want, I, I, and I really believe this, some people just want to turn on the TV and see what's happening and get a get a, a, a summation if they watch it for half an hour or an hour, uh, which was, by the way, the original concept for CNN headline news, which then got a little weird, but that was the idea there too, right? So so that's that's the part that I wonder about is not the catalog stuff, but is like, what could they do as Warner Brothers Discovery with the CNN brand to do something with it since they can't just put the regular old CNN on streaming? I my if I were there, I would advocate for doing a linear channel, whether it's a fast, you know, free ad supported TV channel or whether it's something like what Peacock and Paramount and hulu have done where there is a a branded news channel that just streams live that's inside your subscription service uh and you brand it cnn and it's like great you get you you get hbo max you also get a cnn feed that's not the cnn but it's a cnn but um i don't know i I don't know what they're going to do with that part of it right like the catalog is an easy one it's like oh sure that's great stuff in the catalog but what about like news how does that work there's also this yeah and i think so there's this overarching challenge that i i think is a quite fun one to to try and, and figure out which is affecting all of news not just tv news but all of news um but with tv it's a little bit more difficult arguably to navigate if you just want to supplement your news right so first and foremost um jason I, i'm sure knows this news uh, is hardly ever a revenue driver like it's it's yeah. like the idea of hard news is not a big revenue thing advertisers don't want to be alongside it they don't like the idea of being alongside um really macabre imagery which is very well, which is really you see it right now. It's like we're reporting from Ukraine about this bombed out city. And it's like, well, we'll be back in a moment after this word from. And it's like nobody wants to be who that is. Nobody wants to be the sponsor of that. Exactly. And so the the bigger issue with news is when we think about how people used to get their news, which was a six o'clock, the six o'clock newscast, or it was the New York Times subscription or the Washington Post subscription. There was this inherent value in being able to have this one kind of thing that you got once once a day, twice a day. You read it. You watched it. You were keeping up with world events and you kind of went about your way. And because it was such a finite product, because it was this idea of like one paper per day or like one or two newscasts a day, there was this idea that, well, we can supplement it somehow. Um, A lot of times it's advertising in newspapers alongside sports or whatever it might be, lifestyle stuff. They, they, you know, uh, a lot of just investment from people who are big news news, um, connoisseurs, all that fun stuff. (laughs) When we move into this moment right now, the issue that the news companies are trying to figure out is how do we once again become a habit, not just a resource that people tune to us for? How do we create inherent value in people's lives so they see that they have to pay for news at a time when there's a lot of free news out there, not all of it great. There's a lot of um, ad-supported news, which is then free news, of course, but I mean ad-supported video as well. Um, But then there's also um, this idea online that writing and journalism is less valuable than it was like that's the inherent problem that we're facing it's like well i don't need to pay for that i get it elsewhere we've almost lost respect for the for 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 the business and so you see what the new york times is doing which i think is a great example where they're saying we're going to supplement our news via cooking and games and um wire cutter and we're going to go about it this way and we're going to athletic right and which is 
you know, kind of sports betting, which they'll get into. And there's this inherent idea of this is valuable to me because I use it every day to get look up a recipe, to play Wordle, whatever it is. And when we think about David Zaslav, I promise this all connects. David Zaslav, he always points when he thinks about news, he always points to the fact that he launched CNBC, which is a great network. It's the network I have on all day when I'm working. Um, but the the thing about CNBC is that its value is inherent uh, to anyone who uses it because it is habitual. Because whether you're a retail investor or an analyst or a journalist, you're constantly paying attention to the market. You're constantly looking into what you can, what you should invest in, what you should not be. And you're constantly looking at CNBC because they have the best analysts, executives, and journalists on it to help explain it. There is this idea of like, well, the inherent value is going to increase my own wealth or it's going to increase my own work or my own productivity. And so therefore I will pay for it. It's part of the good cable, part of my cable package. The issue with CNN as it stands and kind of what Zaslav wants to do, which is like, let's bring this back to hard news, is that at the, the people tuning in again to that 9 p.m. slot, this is the Chris Cuomo slot that, you know, since he has vacated it, since he was uh, let go, has they've seen a drop in their core demographic of about 70%, right? So there's this idea of that audience is not necessarily interested in news. And although CNN, uh, sorry, in hard news at that time, and although CNN is global, if we think about its American audience, American audiences tuning into CNN or Fox or MSNBC at 9 p.m. are not looking for global news. They are looking for an anchored, uh, opinionated anchor who they tune into more often than not for something political or something where they want to have their opinion fed back to them or they want to get angry about something. Like it is those two core um, emotions that they really play onto. I love the idea of Zaslav saying, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to get back to hard news. We're going to get back to global news. We're going to get back to this being a news network. But the economics of that on linear are so different than the economics of that in an app or online that I don't see where that short-term loss stops. You know, they say it's a short-term loss yeah. for long-term gain. Where does that short-term loss stop? And if you're losing all of your audience to these other two networks, the advertisers go with them, the distributors get really upset because your viewership is declining, like that becomes a huge issue. On the other side of it, that audience who is interested in global reporting, who's interested in bigger stories, who's interested, or not bigger, but more diverse stories, who's interested in kind of having this conversation about different ideas, is online. Like they are, they are on Twitter. They're they're reading different Apple News stories. They have multiple subscriptions. They would be very interested in that. But you can't bring the live news aspect over to the app. The app is a terrible experience. They're not necessarily going to go to HBO Max for it. Although who knows? Maybe they do if it's within a tile. But how do you get? The best talent over there when you're saying, hey, the be our best product is still the linear platform where we our talent doesn't want to move over to streaming. They're happy on linear. That's where the audience is. So there's this amalgamation of issues that they need to solve from like a straight up consumer behavior, like psychological mm -hmm. factor to um an, like a UI, UX and tech platform as perspective and then um agree rights agreements. That that's a huge other issue. And so. I see it and I give him a lot of credit and I know that he can build news networks. Like I've seen him do it and, you know, he's got a very smart team around him. But my question is, are your audiences conflated in where you're trying to approach them? And if so, like, how do you fix that issue both in the short term and in the long term? Yeah, if you anybody has watched a 24-7 news network lately, you'll also see based on what the ads are, that is a... It's not, I want to say rapidly aging demographic. It's not rapidly aging. It's aging at one year per year, but they're not like it is an old audience. And um, as somebody who's sliding into bad demographic categories <laughs> very soon, I can tell you like, yeah, younger audiences don't consume news like this. Even even my generation, I'm a Gen Xer, so I'm right in the middle there. Like there's some of that, but it's not like it is in in the people who are the core audience, I think, of most of these um, linear, you know, cable TV networks. And so like 
doesn't make sense to replicate a thing that's only going to appeal to people in their 60s and 70s and 80s, right? Like it doesn't doesn't make any sense in the long run. Of course, they're also looking at the inevitably at the death of all of that money that they get from cable and they and and so but they've got this brand. So it's like, yeah, what maybe maybe Zaslav and whoever he's got around him are really just taking a step back and saying this is not the way to perpetuate news gathering. The problem is if people only pay attention to news, TV news, when a big story hits, you, you you don't save money by keeping a whole news team around not doing anything. They're still very expensive. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. It's, I mean, if it were obvious, they would have done it, right? I mean, if, if, to, to, to your exact point, if we could figure out as an industry how to solve news without being like, oh, you know, um, daddy Google, daddy Facebook, uh, like we would like some more ads or, hey, you know, Mr. Billionaires, like, please invest, which is, again, I don't want to, that comes off really pedantic. I don't want it to sound like this is terrible. It's just the reality of where we are. And if we could have solved it, like to your exact point, Jason, we would have solved it. There are extremely smart people who are trying to solve it every single day, who are trying to figure out how to make news profitable in a way that it was, you know, decades ago. And it's just not going to happen. And I think, again, like we are ignoring the inherent value proposition that people look at news uh, with now versus 20, 30 years ago in the same way that, you know, they looked at cable or they looked at any other thing. And they're... I, we're, we're in this moment, you know, you're, you're just talking about this, you know, we move into different demographics as we get older. And we're in this moment where the demographics are changing guards and also the technology is changing guards and the way we, we do things is changing. And it's important to be on the precipice of it in order to catch it, in order to capitalize on it. But it's also important to realize that what may work for one thing is not going to work for something else. And and I, I really think that there's an issue here with conflating what they want to do on linear with where that audience is, who I think is a much more digital audience, and then what they yeah. can do on digital um, that the linear audience is just like not interested in. They're just not going to necessarily go over to. And that, that's my main concern. All right. We will we'll keep watching it because, you know. It's us. We will. <laughs> That's going to happen, and and then and we'll see where they uh, where they decide they're going to take it, and we'll talk about that. I, I want to talk to you about to you about the other item on your wish list for for our buddy uh, Zaz. But first, let me tell you about our sponsor. Uh, this episode of Downstream is brought to you by Pocket Casts. How good is the app you are currently listening? Uh, to this podcast on, right? Because this is a podcast and you're listening to it. So how are you doing that? How good is the app if you're using an app? If you're using a web browser, by the way, the answer is going to be pretty simple that the, an app would probably be better for that. Um, is the app you're listening to um, mixing music and podcasts into one confusing interface? Does the app have all the features you need? Is that app thoughtfully designed by people that listen to podcasts every day themselves? Maybe you should try something new for your podcast. Pocket Casts is built by podcast listeners. I know some of the people who built this thing. Uh, and for podcast listeners, no matter how you listen to podcasts, Pocket Casts has you covered. It seamlessly syncs your listening progress across iOS and Android and the web and it supports Amazon, Alexa, and Sonos Spark speakers. It has support for CarPlay and Android Auto and Android Automotive. You can listen to your car. It's all good. You can enjoy the vibrant, constantly up- updated discovery section. I've been in it. Uh, they are they are really great curators of podcasts, so they can give you suggestions if you are uh, looking for another podcast to listen to. In addition to this one, of course, you got to keep listening to this one. Pocket Cast has Apple Watch support, including offline playback for when you're jogging without your phone. 
AirPlay support, Chromecast support. It's all in there. You can check out your listing history and stats. Uh, and it even automatically will rewind a podcast a little bit if it's been a while since you listened so you can get the context of what you were listening to when you paused it. Uh, just I couldn't say enough good things about the people at, Podca- at Pocket Casts and the care that they have uh, when it's curation or whether it's the interface and covering all these different platforms. Look, it's completely free to use. But because you listen to our podcast, if you go to pocketcast.com slash downstream, not only can you download Pocket Cast right there, but you can redeem a six-month free trial of all their premium features in something called, of course, Pocket Cast Plus. Everything has a plus at the end of it. And if you're already a Pocket Cast user, but you haven't tried Pocket Cast Plus yet, you too can redeem this offer. Go to pocketcasts.com slash downstream to find out more. And thank you to the good people at Pocket Cast for supporting Downstream and Relay FM. Hooray. All right, back to it. Harry Potter. We got to talk about it because uh, they own the franchise, sort of, uh, kind of, well, along with J.K. Rowling. Warner Media is the home of Harry Potter. And what is that? Like, there's lots going on here. Fantastic Beasts 3 is did not do well at the box office. J.K. Rowling is not really popular with a lot of people right now. Um, also, I would say her insistence on being involved creatively in the Fantastic Beasts series suggests to me that she's more of a creative impediment to this being made into uh, a successful TV and movie franchise than she is a benefit to having the creator involved. She seems to be getting in the way. Um, and that's that's sort of my big question for you, Julia, is one, where's my Harry Potter HBO Max miniseries or series? And two, who's going to tell her that she needs to step out of the way? And it's got to be, is it Zaz? Somebody at Warner Media really needs to say, JK, <laughs> we need to talk. Um, <laughs> it, because this, this could be really big, but uh, you writing the screenplays is not going to do it. So here's my big thing about Harry Potter specifically is they keep chasing big. They keep going theatrical. They keep saying we want to do um, a five part series on a book that's 80 pages that's based on characters that maybe people care about um, in a two and a half hour format doesn't work like you cannot chase that, especially in this market. You cannot chase that just because it has a Harry, a Harry Potter in its name. It doesn't carry the weight that it carried 10 years ago, uh, especially with all the controversy happening around J.K. Rowling, especially with the actual quality diminishing, um, and especially with the heightened competition, where if you're going to compete in that space where, hey, it's based on a franchise name, so we think people are going to turn out, unless you have a Kevin Feige or a Dave Filoni or Walter Hamada overseeing their various verticals, which are Marvel, um, Star Wars, uh, and DC, like unless you have that architect there who's well aware of how to... Uh, weave that web and 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 bring consumers in and and fans in and make that and really understand why they love what what they're doing and really understand why it continues to be a great success you're going to fail like you're going to flop it's just not going to happen and more importantly if we think about what marvel's doing right now with the upcoming doctor strange movie like that ties in a big part of wandavision and wandavision is still one of marvel studios's highest rated uh, marvel tv shows and that show got a lot of people into the marvel universe like they came to it and they were like i don't know who these characters are but this is a fun show i'm super interested i'm gonna watch it um with harry potter what you have is amazing world building, right? You have all these great characters that you can tune into. And I'm talking about like secondary and tertiary characters where you can really lean into these kind of stories based around, let's say, the 1960s into the early 2000s. Um, and you can really tell some really interesting stories of those characters. You can also 
subvert the genre entirely like in the way that i think of what taika waititi has done with vampires and pirates at this point with what we do in the shadows and our flag means death where he and his teams have basically said we're just going to totally subvert the idea of what these genres are people understand like what vampires and pirates are like they get the point of it but why don't we have fun with the genre and create a really interesting story Harry Potter at its core is Wizards and Witches. At its core, it's a magic show. It's a story about people with uh, extreme, uh, uh, sorry, exceptional capabilities who go on these, who sacrifice the ordinary to be extraordinary, which is very important, these types of, of, of shows and movies. Um, and yet we never see anything substantial come from that. We never see the, the, the 10 hour, you know, 10 episode show that really gets in to what that is like for a lot of these different families who are kind of in this space of being extraordinary, but also being segregated and also isolated. And, you know, this battle between good and evil that is gray as much as it is black and white. And there's some really interesting storytelling to do there alongside like a funny take on Quidditch or whatever you'd want to do with it. Like there's all these great things that they can do for half the budget on HBO Max that I guarantee will bring more people to that streaming service. I guarantee will be much more rewarding, especially if you get the right showrunner and the right writing talent and the right actors to delve deeper into that history. I said this on Twitter the other day, you know, one of the big things that makes or breaks a franchise in 2022 is this idea of, um uh transmedia participation this idea of like if i watch this show or this movie or if i read this book am i then posting on tiktok am i then making a twitter account for it my own tumblr like is this a big part of what i want to talk about online like what i want to kind of base a part of my identity around on which can be problematic but it can also be a surefire sign that hey this is really catching on with people you know within the the first two weeks of our flag means death there were like people getting tattoos they created accounts they're making edits like they were it was very clear that this had really struck a chord and has had huge potential with an audience um the big thing about that is that it has to be additional and supplementary to the canonical work the canonical work has to stand as the foremost thing. And people go, I keep coming back to this. I want to build upon it. I want to talk about it. I want to, it's, it's part of my life, but I'm going to keep coming back to this thing because the canonical work quality cannot diminish, nor can the quantity slow down in order to continue, you know, really providing people something they to look forward to. I mean, that is the Marvel strategy in a nutshell, right? It is this, that is the idea of it. Even if the quality diminishes slightly, there's enough of a reputation and a precedent at it with this point that people will, will tune up to it. And the TV shows have increased the quality in ways that movies may not have over the last um, couple of years. Harry Potter, the transmedia works, so that's everything from podcasts and fan fiction and fan art and um, whatever it might be, short films, like whatever people are doing, is so much better, both quality uh, from a quality perspective and so much more consistent from a quantity perspective that people do not need the canonical work. And if you don't need the canonical work, what you've basically done is created a RPG. You've basically given people the ability to go and explore something on their own and they like the characters and they're like, hey, thanks, I'm going to make my character gay because you won't. Like all those fun things that kind of come up. Um, um, like that is the major issue is that the canonical actual work is no longer necessary. And if you, that's irrelevant, good luck getting people to pay $20 at a movie theater during COVID to go watch a movie when there's so many other things to do. But if you do it on the sh- on the small screen, if you do it through series, and if you open up the world again, and you really bring in some interesting characters, and you explore sides of the world that we never really get because everything is so black and white in the movies. But and the reality, like you can have a lot of great conversations and you can have a lot of fun with it in, in ways too. Until that happens, Harry Potter is just going to remain irrelevant in ways that is 
devastating because it would make it the most underused and undermonetized IP in the world. Like, and that's as someone who loves Harry Potter, like, and as someone who loves business, <laughs> that is that is extremely heartbreaking. But the, this this idea that everything has to be in theaters, like, the only way to do this is before in theaters when hbo max exists and when there's teams who can do really yeah. great shows is just mind-boggling to me it, it is I, I gotta say i think it's generational where and, it, and this may be jk rowling or it may be people around her or it may be people who have been at warner warners over the years um and it may have something to do with how successful those movies were but i get the real whiff of you know movies are the special thing and TV is just uh, the last refuge of the, of the, de the desperate like, Oh, but prestige is in the movies where you look at star Wars and it's like, did you see what happened with the Mandalorian? Like you can take it, it, it you know, streaming media, streaming uh, shows, prestige streaming is like one of the good places. One of the art forms, one of the great slots to be is being the keystone of a major streaming services marketing strategy for the year. And yet I do get the sense that it's sort of like, well, but we always did them as movies and aren't we giving up if we don't have them as movies? And, and I, I don't want to litigate like the, the entire idea behind the fantastic beast series, but it was like you said, a minor work. It always seemed like a stretch to turn that into anything, let alone movies. And it comes back to the main point, which is unlike some properties, where the creator did not have complete control over them. Uh, this is a property where the creator has a basically a veto is my understanding of what happens. So um, if they're going to get made, they're going to get made by Warners. But if JK doesn't want them to be made, they won't be made. And I think not to invoke Gene Roddenberry and George Lucas, but I'd put her in that camp too, as somebody whose creation has um, sur vastly surpassed their not only vision, but their ability as a creative person. And that it, it is, I, and I'm, it's very rare mm -hmm. for me to say, let the studio handle it, let the corporation handle it, let the bean counters handle it. And that's not quite what I'm saying here, but I am saying that if you have an unfireable creator who insists on being involved in everything and may not understand why their work resonated with audiences or may have the wrong idea of why their reson their their work resonated with audiences maybe the best thing to do is to say why don't we hire some people who are your fans and they love it and they're and they're they're A-list creators and they're going to make great stuff and i i just i keep coming back to the fact that as long as she's like no no i'm going to write the screenplays and it's all coming from me and i'm not going to allow anyone i mean like we'll put you in advisory capacity or something but i you know i really think that they're at they're they're at the george lucas point now where i mean he sold out and i don't think she's going to sell out control but somebody needs to have that conversation with her I don't know who that's going to be. Again, is David Zaslav going to sit down with her and say we have some big ideas, but it, but you can't you can't write and produce multiple Harry Potter series, so we need you to relinquish some creative control, some creative control. I don't know, but I share your feelings about this. Is like not only did I love those movies and watch those movies with my kids and read the books with my kids and all of that, but it also just seems like a cry and shame to take something that is on the, could be on par with star Wars as a brand or Marvel in some ways, um, just be untouched because of the, you know, the relationship between the creator and the studio. It's deeply, I think, I think 
this really needs to be said, someone can be a really great storyteller. And for uh, Rowling is, you know, for all the my all my own personal issues that I have with her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's a great storyteller and she's a great world builder. World builder. Mm-hmm. There's there is a difference between someone who is a great creative world builder and someone who is the architect of a franchise. Someone like a Kevin Feige who can sit there and go, "Here's how we plan these movies out. Here's how the shows intersect. Here's how we then work with the comics department to really bring those characters up and create what you know we use the word flywheel a lot, but create this kind of constant stream of monetizable." Um, love, which sounds really macabre, um, because you know sometimes it, that, but that's how it's it is. Like, that's how that's how business <laughs> is, and so it's this idea of like we can continue generating billions of dollars for Disney. People really seem to love it. Um, we, we're across all the platforms that we need to be in, um, and we have this planned out for the next ten years. They don't have that for for Harry Potter at Warner. Like they have it for DC, or they're getting there with DC with Walter Hamada and his team. Um, but they don't have it for Harry Potter, and there's this like idea that well harry potter will always just be great because there is this constant fan um, interaction and constant fan adoration for it but the fans have developed their own world for it like they yeah. don't they don't need it and they're actually almost happier to not have it and, you know just anecdotally mm-hmm. i i was in um the harry potter store in new york a few months ago for my birthday i was like i want to go to the harry potter store like like this so much, so much i love this franchise like, i want to go to the store i want to buy some things i'm gonna go and it was me, you know, a bunch of other 30-year-olds who were clearly need to grow up, I, I, I say lovingly. And then also, though, a couple of, like, 10-year-olds who were really excited, who were just watching the movies and reading the books for the first time. And what's beautiful is, like, that canonical um, – the canonical um, pro- um, products that exist are still so important. But – you want those kids to then read it to their kids. And in order to create that multi-generational affinity, you have to have consistently new stuff and it has to be quality and, and it has to be something that really resonates with each different um, audience. If we think about the most important addition in the Star Wars universe, it is not the prequels, it is the Clone Wars because it was the time that they said we should appeal to kids, but also to their parents who are watching this with them. And the Clone Wars was a show about banking, but was done with animation. And it was like <laughs> the greatest show that people could watch and sit down and enjoy. And that created a whole new... Uh, 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 audience base like they've created a whole new world for kids to really explore and harry potter hasn't done this harry potter won't do the animation won't do this the, the the tv thing and it's like you have to th- like again the best thing that happened to star wars and marvel was getting into tv and in a way that was underneath a visionary for star wars it was dave filoni now with john favreau as well and with marvel is kevin feige um and jeff Loeb to an extent when he was doing it um uh, with netflix yeah. and, and disney less and, successfully but yes yeah and so there's this idea of like if you don't have that for harry potter if you're just kind of like, well, we can do this movie that's, you know, all about fascism, but we're not really going to figure out how to do it. And it's not really going to land well. People can smell that. They can see it. They're not interested in that. They can get that from anywhere else. Like, that's not a big deal. They want what made Harry Potter so great. And until you have an architect who understands viscerally what that is in uh, movies, in TV, in games, in books, in whatever it is, in podcasts, until you have that, your franchise is not going to work. It's too big and it needs to actually be smaller, like under one person and who has an idea. So I think that's my thing I would say to them. I mean, easier said than done, but they have a Harry Potter strategy team. They just need someone who can say, hey, here's what the next 10 years look like. You know, we try with the next first three years, but I think this is where we need to be and this is what we need to do. Um, and, and, and then and then just commit to it. And I know that Zaslav wants it because whenever he was doing press for the Warner Media excuse me warner bros discovery merger um he talked about harry potter all the time it was one of the main ip that he mm-hmm. he floated he was like you know dc harry potter so i know he wants it but harry potter's in this moment where you've got you know 
maybe a decade, decade and a half left to really plan something out to bring it into the into the next part. Because if not, somebody else will create a series that takes kids' attention away. Um, and the, and the, and the fans who are older. They're happy reading stories on the internet and like looking at fan art. Like they're good. They don't need to go watch these movies. Right. And so I think that's just, I, I listed it in my article as one of the biggest issues that they had. And I got, had some people who said, really Harry Potter. And I said, it's a $25 billion franchise that they can't make money on or like that, that mm. they can't make, you know, like notable money on right now. And that's a huge loss. Yeah. Would you not discuss Star Wars when you were talking about Disney? Like you got to mention, you got to mention Star Wars and Marvel, obviously, but Star Wars too. And Harry Potter is on that level potentially and is just sort of floating around. Yeah. I, I mean, we could talk, we could go forever. I, I have theories about like how you approach this. If you are a senior executive, if you are David Zaslav, I, I start to think about like, is there a creative person that you like who also that J.K. Rowling is comfortable with? And could you can you create some sort of system where like you you go to them and you say, you know, we worked with you have you have Casey Bloys from HBO go to them and say, look how we worked with George R. R. Martin with Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. right? And he was involved at one level, but he didn't have to sweat the details. And can we pair you with a couple of creative executive producers who are going to talk to you about your vision for the world, but are also going to basically go off and do a thing that you're not going to really be involved with? And are you comfortable with that? Like, and try to sort of wear her down. But the truth is this thing may never, ever, ever work. And if it doesn't, it's going to be because JK Rowling doesn't want it to. And, that's her right, I suppose. But uh, we we joke about this, about the, the old proverbial truck of uh, money backing up to your door. The thing about J.K. Rowling is that although she appreciates the truck full of money, she's got she's received several trucks. <laughs> and so how many more trucks does she even care about? I don't know. It's a, it's a fascinating one, right? Because it's not just business. Like if she wanted to walk away and say, I will not approve anything more, it's over, right? Like I, my understanding is they can't go on without her unless she approves. And boy, that would make me sweat if I was David Zaslav, right? Mm-hmm. That would mm-hmm. make me sweat because <laughs> I don't want a vanity project. I don't want to approve something that's going to, that's going to be a, a joke and lose me a lot of money just to please her. But at the same time, if I don't please her to some extent, she's just going to walk away and leave me holding an empty bag. And that's no good either. So yikes. Yes. Uh, all right. Um, <laughs> we'll watch that one too, folks. We'll watch that one too. I really would like to see that HBO Max prestige Harry Potter, like, a you know, I don't know, modern. What's the, what's the modern? Uh, I like your ideas too. We could pitch all sorts of things. There's so I many different so things many you could do ideas, in the world. I have so many ideas, Warner. If you reach out, literally, I have so many yep. ideas. Just call, call, call us both. And uh, well, well I, I do think that in the end, what they ought to do is a, is a modern day set Hogwarts series that where every season is a year. And because that's familiar, but that's, that's, that's ground zero. That's, that's the first thing you do. And then you build all those things that are on the edges that you describe too. But you know, whatever, I'm open to whatever as the, as your person who has no say, I'm open to whatever. Um, a couple of quick hits before we go. I just want to mention IMDb TV got rebranded. Um, if you don't know what this is, it's, it's this thing called fast that everybody's talking about free ad supported TV. It's streaming, but, um, but for free with ads and it's a it's a thing there's there's a lot of it and and this is amazon's and they branded it imdb tv because i don't know they owned imdb and so they thought it would be a good idea it's always confusing they changed the name it's now called freevee f-r-e-e-v-e-e 
Um, as somebody who ran TV.org for many years, T-E-E-V-E-E, um, I, I wish them good luck in telling, having to tell every single person who asks how you spell it. <laughs> At least they have the .com. Uh, we didn't have the .com, so it was that much more painful. Their logo is a lot like ours because there's only so much you can do with that many E's. <laughs> and I don't hate the name because it's freebie. It's free TV. It's freebie. It's like I, I think people overthink this. Like some some all new names sound weird, but like everybody made fun of the iPad, and now the iPad is perfectly fine. It's just the iPad. It's fine. I, I think freebie is like it's free TV. I, like I just don't. It's silly, but you know Hulu is silly too, and yeah. we got over it. I mean Netflix is silly. Like I I yeah, noted this Netflix. in uh, on on Twitter, and it got picked up by like TechCrunch or something, which means that a lot of VCs were like, "This is a terrible name. How could you like it?" And I was like, what are they going to call it? Amazon Prime Video? Oh, wait, like that exists. What are they going to call it? Amazon Prime Video Max? It's not Max. It's they can't use minus. That seems like a bad product idea. Let me tell you, venture venture capitalists, when they're shooting on Twitter about about product names, they are just as guilty of shooting from the hip and not thinking it through as literally anyone else on Twitter. It's one of those things where I was like freebie. It's like TV. It's like free. It's like a freebie. Like like it's cute. It's a cute name. They'll rebrand it in like three years and then we'll say like it was one of those (laughs) moments. What about freebie? It was all those. It's like all those moments where there was this great moment um, maybe about a year and a half ago. No, God, a year ago. I don't even know what time is anymore. But they were everyone was trying to figure out what Paramount was going to call their new streaming service when they changed it from CBS all access and there's all of these questions about like well what would they go with what's their brand blah 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 and then they're like we're going to paramount plus and it's like like at the end of the day branding is very important we all know mm-hmm. this we know it's like a big reason why people why some things succeed and some things don't but like we're coming if we can get a re if we can get away rather excuse me from pluses and maxes like, i am happy i'm happy to have sure. another like a peacock a, a freebie a like hey give this a name and also everyone made fun of peacock and now it's like it's a name that people just say and they're like oh yeah it's the name of the streaming service yeah. like it's fine also like it's amazon it's their ad supported streaming service to them that's like yeah we have this it's great it makes us some money on the ad side but like it's not even prime video like it's fine it's fine (laughs) it's the second second play there for the record i did i did call when asked what i thought the nbc universal streaming service was called like a year before they announced it i said peacock plus and there is a peacock premium plus tier by the way but (laughs) but i got it i was close enough close enough i think to that one I'll, i'll take that as a win um I also have a very quick uh, streaming sports update, which is just to say when last we talked, um, Apple TV Plus had not done its Friday Night Baseball yet. It had just announced it. It's done a couple of weeks now. Um, you know, it's it's a national broadcast with a new t- broadcast team. I wrote a whole big thing about it on Six Colors that people can read. It's, you know, I, it, it's it's not targeted at the people who watch 162 games of their favorite team on TV. It really is targeted at an international audience and a broad audience. There are people watching this in the UK and Australia and Korea and Japan. Um, My criticisms of it are mostly that it, it, and I think the deal came together late enough that maybe they, they are still figuring it out, but it's, it's a white labeled broadcast from MLB network. And most of my criticisms are ways where it is incredibly traditional in terms of being a cable TV broadcast, essentially repurposed for a streaming service that I wish they would be a little more uh, different, that they would, they would think different to coin a phrase um, with some of the things that are going on that are like, why, why are they doing that? And I think the answer is because that's how MLB network produces a, a, a baseball broadcast and they haven't maybe had time or the inclination to change everything about the broadcast. But I think that they would benefit by differentiating the fact that this is the first or one of the very first baseball broadcasts to not air on 
a cable or satellite provider in any form in any way, which means nothing about it. You know, you don't need ad breaks. You could do ad. You could do ads if you wanted to, and they are. But right now, it's a traditional ad break. It's like, why? Why would you? You don't even need it um, because there's nowhere where this is airing on cable. It's just Apple. So I, I'd like to see them push it more. Um, but it's it's fine for what it is. People who are saying it's it's embarrassing. I saw some uh, Matt Bellany at Puck, at Puck took a shot at it and said that uh, he thought that it was C, a sort of C list kind of thing. And I said, have you seen Sunday Night Baseball? Because <laughs> yeah, that's on ESPN. That's the flagship, and it's not that great either. Like these national broadcasts are kind of like this. So uh, not that Apple shouldn't aspire higher. But there it I is. also and- saw somebody just really quickly. I saw someone tweet about apple specifically and oh i know who it was i'm forgetting his name but he's the reporter at the sports business journal john he's really really mm. great um, i forget his name but um I'll, I'll tweet it afterwards when i remember and he was tweeting about this and he had a point on his podcast where he was like you expect more from apple like you expect more from the company that kind of is to your point last to the late to the party but then delivers the best product right um and my take is Sure, but but that's on the tech side. Like we're expecting Apple to be really good at, at at distributing live games. Like, and that's a very complicated thing to do. That even the typical carriers have issues with sometimes. Right. Like that's that's a really hard thing to solve. And I do wonder. It made me think though, because I was like, I wonder how much additional scrutiny Apple and Amazon will get because they're the tech giants, because they're the guys right. who have so much money. It's like, why can't you figure this thing out? Yeah. And I do think there's a moment where we have to say like. I mean, like, like, like Comcast the, sometimes flacks on this, you know, like there's times when it's just like, oh, the, the feed's not working. There's a glitch. And I think the bigger issue is um, that Apple uh, does not know how to do a great uh, broadcast. And so with the MLB, there's kind of this like, oh, we're going to mention Siri. And it's like, eh, like yeah. there's ways to do this Although- that aren't cringe. Although they do that in regular broadcasts that aren't theirs, too. That's like yes. a sponsor spot that they yes. do. So it, even that's not not actually part of that broadcast. It's just sort of another thing that they imported from traditional uh, sports broadcasting. It's John Orend, by the way. Is the, yes, thank is you. the guy you're thinking of. Um, yeah. I, again, I, I, I thought about it. And, like, I've got a lot of specific criticisms. I also think there are things that they're getting criticized for that are, are um, because people who are not used to watching something like this are watching it and that it, in a larger context are actually fine. But but in the end, for me, it really came down to that, yeah, Apple has an opportunity to push this. And right now, I don't think they're pushing their partner, their production partner, MLB Network, hard enough. I think that they, they have taken something off the shelf. And I think if you're Apple, you should be pushing them to do things um, to to do more customization to make it not look like it's something that could have aired on MLB Network on a Wednesday night and only could exist on Apple TV Plus. And that means changing your graphics even more and rethinking what the inner inning breaks look like because I'm not sure rolling some ads in that were sold by MLB's ad staff, MLB Network's ad staff for Subway and stuff is really a good fit with the Apple TV Plus brand either. Like, I think just there are ways that they could do this differently. Um, They have a really sleazy, you know, gambling partnership for the pregame show. And again, it's like, Apple, do you, is that the road you want to walk down? I don't know. Uh, well, also, and, then, and then, well, my, and my other, my other thing is just also the technical layer, right? Which right, is like, right. this is all 100% on apps and software. And there's, and it's a flat broadcast. There's no extra layers of audio or video or graphics or anything. It's literally just the one broadcast. And that also seems like a thing that 
again, it's early. I'm not going to say it's a mistake. I think if it never gets to be more than that, that this was a failed experiment because that's that's the value is you are doing a pure digital baseball broadcast. Do something with it. And they haven't. It's and I'm just going to say what's funny to me about the MLB specifically with Apple and everyone kind of tuning into it. I love, by the way, that it was a Mets game because, like, of course it was like that's just like <laughs> the poetry on it for all Mets fans out there, including myself. There was a fight and it rained. It, it was like this, like, this is on. a perfect Mets moment. Um, I, I do think it's really interesting from an MLB perspective when they're having issues finding an audience. So it seems like their strategy is just to disperse games to kind of whoever wants them and is like, well, hopefully this will bring people in that almost devalues what their games are. It makes it much more complicated to follow. It makes it much more aggravating. Um, there, there's just this idea that I was watching it and I was like, man, I just hate watching i hate keeping up with how to watch baseball like i hit that point and i'm someone who you know has ten thousand streaming services like it doesn't bother me but i did feel like oh this kind of devalues the league for me and that just might be a me thing but i i almost wanted it to go back to like let's go back to three or four networks right and then like your local or whatever it might be um and so there, I, I do think with Apple and Amazon and YouTube and all of them getting into the game, it's like you guys have to find ways to make this really entertaining. If not just for your audience, the for MLB has to figure out this alongside you because MLB is the one trying to figure out how do we bring people back in? Like, how do we get people to watch as opposed to just going to games, which is obviously very important. Um, so I thought that was fun, too. Like I was watching it and I was like, yeah, I don't enjoy this. Like, and not just from an Apple perspective. I was like, I just, yeah, not having fun. Yeah. Uh, the other rest of the quick hits here, Matt Bellany, who I, I mentioned a moment ago, um, in that same story where he took that shot at Apple's broadcast, um, mentioned that his understanding is that Apple actually has closed the deal to take over for yes. DirecTV as the home of NFL Sunday ticket beginning in 2023 and just hasn't been announced because Apple will probably announce it at an Apple event and they like to control when they announce things. But it sounds like it's a done deal that they paid a lot of money. And that'll be a fascinating thing to watch as we get closer. It'll be more than it'll be a year and a half before we have to know this, but it will be interesting to see how Apple handles that. They will have more time to build software around it, which is good. DirecTV actually did a a pretty good job of having their DVRs have like interactive things where you could call up a window that had all the games in it and you could select which one and then click and it would switch to that channel. Back when I had DirecTV, they actually built some good interactive functionality into their into their DirecTV boxes at the time. So Apple could really do a good job with a kind of more dynamic, exactly what I was saying the MLB broadcasts aren't, a more dynamic interactive way to whip around the NFL. Um, they're going to spend a lot of money on it. And so then we'll also get to see how they choose to use this either as a driver for Apple TV Plus or as a driver for a premium layer on top of Apple TV Plus or what they want to do with it. But they're going to have... Uh, it sounds like they're going to like this. This actually is a big win for American football fans because uh, DirecTV, you had to like get a dish on your roof and a box and commit to using DirecTV as your TV provider if you wanted to watch out of market football games. And now all you'll need is an Internet connection and one of any number of boxes or refrigerators or toasters that have the TV app on it. And like that's that's good. That's a good thing, I think. Yes. Yeah, It'll be I cheaper, agree. too. I, I predict it will not cost whatever $200 or whatever it is, $300 a year, like uh, like what DirecTV charged for it. I don't know what they'll charge. They'll probably take a loss on it, but that's okay. Um, still, I think I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, I am, too. I think it's also a good league for them to just be in. I think I think it's it shows that it shows their um, commitment 
to yeah. sports in a way that I've always said with Amazon. Like, there's a reason that Amazon keeps trying to buy more leagues. Like, clearly, right. sports working for them in a way that content might not necessarily be. I think, you know, as we record this, and we'll talk about this next episode, but, you know, Netflix posted their earnings. It's not great, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, yeah. But it's one of those <laughs> things where... You know, the idea of sports is that there is something that drives you to have to subscribe to it. And if you make it an enjoyable experience, people will stay around longer. Like they'll open the app, like they'll do things. And we see that with Amazon and Apple. It's not surprising that there's the bids are for obviously for um, Sunday ticket are coming in. But also it's not surprising um, that Apple and Amazon were kind of the big contenders because it's like they they are, have the most to win by being in it and they have the most money to just spend on it. All right. Before we go, I have one more thing to do, which is a letter from a listener. And by the way, I'll just point out, we didn't get a lot of letters in the last fortnight. So people um, downstream at relay.fm, please send us send your us letters. letters. Or but tweets. I do have this letter and in tweets at downstream pod, please. The little bite-sized letters, little tweets. Uh, this one made me laugh, though, so I'm going to read it. It's from Cameron, uh, who's in Canada. And you're recording in Canada. Our editor is in Canada. We got a lot of Canadian stuff going on. Um, our podcast, by the way, available simultaneously worldwide release. We, we don't, we don't do any geo targeting, you know, it's worldwide simultaneous. We drop it. You listen to it. It's just how we, that's how we are here. But Cameron wrote in to say, hello, love to your fathers and mothers. This short audio loop replaces about half, replaces about half the ads on live Canadian broadcast company shows, CBC, when I'm streaming them. I'm not sure if the half I see are half from local ads or half from national ads. I used to think nothing was worse than ads, but then this happened to me. Even repeats of the same ads over and over again that you get in streaming might not be as bad as this short loop. Of course, it's louder than the show you're watching, too. And now uh, I'm going to play it for you, and our friend Stephen will will play it for the uh, for the podcast too. It sounds a little like this. It just keeps doing that forever. Uh, so he says, "I'm Canadian." I pay the small fee for CBC Gym, and I love being able to watch live streams from all 16 regional CBC feeds. I joined, enjoyed the Olympics on CBC, similar to the way you enjoyed it on Peacock. My question about ads on these semi-premium services, how normal is half ads, half filler, where ads would be for live shows? Thanks for the great show, Cameron. And I'll just, I want to jump in and say, I have MLB, uh, MLB at bat, basically the MLB package. And they do this too, where they pull out the local ads and they put in some highlights, but all the highlights also start with the exact same guitar riff. And after like three days, I'm ready to, to uh, smash my TV when I hear the guitar riff. So what do you, what do you think about this? This kind of weird, uh, Apple does this too, outside of the US. They've got this weird in between state where they don't show the ads actually at all, but they put up a little like slide that says, Hey, wait here. Because there are ads happening somewhere else. I, as someone who uses YouTube TV, love this. Like, I love the idea of them going, hey, there's an ad playing. Like, you can't see it. Or for whatever reason, like, there's you're just not going to get this ad. There's Here's a musical tune, which, by the way, I love that tune that you just played. It was catchy. Like, I, oh, I, I, I sorry, would have that. Cameron. I know. I'm sorry, Cameron. I, but you can just, you can say I have terrible taste. I just, I love it. YouTube TV does this thing where 
they'll play like a video of a polar bear just rolling around. It's like, you deserve a break. Like you can't watch this ad, but hang out. And I'm like, this is great. This is actually way better than the ad. Like I would take this over and over. And obviously, you know, Google would like to make money. So they would rather play an ad. But um, I, I do think for me specifically, the idea of playing something that is not an ad, but is like, we're keeping you entertained. Like we're gonna try and keep you here for the next 30 seconds works for me. HBO Max tries to do a similar thing. Oh, excuse me, not HBO Max. Uh, no, no, yeah. HBO Max is something with their ads where they try to make the ads really funky, um, where they're kind of like, here's what the ad experience can be like in streaming. And you kind of hated it first because you're like, this is obnoxious. Just play the Tide commercial. Like, it's fine. Uh, but then you're kind of like, oh, no, I do appreciate this more than the, you know, two minutes of advertisements I get from watching regular television and I kind of, you know, walk away from it. I don't even think about it. And with streaming, I think it's fun that they do make you kind of think about it. Whether or not that makes for a better or worse user experience, uh, that's a personal thing. I, I'm, I'm sure for many people like yourself, like, it's terrible. You're like, I hate this so much. I can't mm. even ignore it. Um, it's become like an actual thing I have to pay. I, I feel like I have to pay attention to or I, I feel like is I can't avoid it. Um, for me, it's... I, I don't mind it. It's like, sure, like you got to do something. You're trying to figure out how to fill this space. You're trying to figure out how to make this ad more um, fun or try to make it less annoying um, or how to make pe- more enticing to people who might be more inclined to sign up for advertisement based services if it's a little bit um, less cringe. Um, and for me, I think I think for me, yeah, it works. Like I don't mind it. What about you, Jason? Um, I think I think the repetition is the thing. Like I, I think the weird thing about like having alternate ad feeds is kind of funny but it it is kind of nice when you get a in a situation where they've said we're not going to try to sell ads in this part we just have decided not to so just calm down there's something to be said for that i would prefer that to what mlb um tv does where they are showing highlights but they really only have about 15 highlights to show and every single package uses the same music and so you keep hearing do 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 every 30 seconds there's another highlight and it it just makes me want to die so i think it's the repetition that's the worst part of it and perhaps cameron just let the beats get into his head just a little bit got let the beats get in there and like it maybe it's like telling a joke over and over again it's like at first it's funny and then it stops being funny maybe it's like that with the beats the the cool canadian beats going on there in the background i don't know i don't know Some I people, like that they call them the cool Canadian beats. Cool Canadian, I mean, they're, they're, it's, it's a CBC, so they're cool Canadian beats. CBC gem. All right. If you have questions for us, again, email us downstream at relay.fm or tweet at us at downstream pod. Love to your mothers. Find Julia at Loudmouth Julia on Twitter, paradanalytics.com. On Twitter, she's going to be talking a lot about those Netflix results that just came out. And then we'll talk about it a little bit in a couple of weeks. You can find me at jsnell on Twitter, sixcolors.com. And I think that's it. Until next time, Julia, go off and tell us whether uh, Netflix is doomed and we'll check back in in two weeks. It's well, we'll talk. We'll talk in two weeks. <laughs> OK, you're not going to tell me now. Is it doomed? Is it, is it going to be OK? <laughs> Who knows? This is the beauty of the streaming races, the streaming wars. That's why we're to here. To be continued. Stay tuned, everybody. <laughs>